Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name's Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us back on the podcast, David Ioannis. Uh, if you remember, he was on the podcast. We discussed his book, um, The Mind of the Missionary, and then The Gospel Privilege was the last time that he was on the podcast. Today, we're going to sit down and discuss his newest book that comes out this week, See the City. And in this book... It's a challenging one and a very encouraging one and a great story um, to start it off. And we, we discussed that in the beginning of the episode where he shares just kind of how this book, this book came about and what led him to write the book. I do think it is a timely book for the time that we live in, in the sense that it provides um, encouragement, it provides hope, um, as we see some of the things that are going around us, whether that's the, the situation that's going on in the Middle East and Israel and Palestine, um, whatever is going on around us, there's a lot of things that could, we could be discouraged by, but I think he provides great hope and that in our Heavenly Father and our eternal home in heaven. So just uh, really appreciated him being back on the podcast. I'll put links for the podcast. Um, the book and the show notes, and you can get it there. I do ask you to continue to send in your questions for uh, Dick Foth. That's when we sit down with Dick Foth, and we have back channel with Foth. That's always a great time. Enjoy learning from Dick, his wisdom and his insight and experience. I do ask you to continue to subscribe to the podcast. I know the ones that I subscribe to are the ones I listen to. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here with our friend David. David, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, it's great to be with you, Aaron. Man, it's been uh, all, more than two years now. It was August 15, 2021, last time I was with you. That's right. It's been a while. It's been a while. I'm a little older, less hair. What a hair I do have <laughs> is gray and the rest is falling out. So anyway. Obviously, it sounds like you have children who are reminding you of that. Mine, <laughs> mine do the same thing for me. The mirror reminds me of it. Uh, honestly, <laughs> I get in the mirror and I think, who is this guy? That's not the guy I remember. Um, and that's just from one day to the next. So David, for those who didn't listen, um, to our last podcast episode together. Will you just go ahead and share a little bit about yourself? And um, then we're going to jump into some questions today about See the City. Mm, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. First of all, it's a joy and an honor. My story uh, has been just such a unique thing. Looking back, I, I see how God has just uh, had a number of series of divine events placed together at the right place at the right time and called me onto this journey among the unreached peoples, what I call the gospel dead zones, spiritual access. I uh, went on my first mission trip. I was born and raised in a Christian home. And so I heard about Teen Mania Ministries, Acquire the Fire, youth conferences, went to a few of those. My life was changed. Shout out to Ron Luce. Uh, then I went on my first mission trip to Russia in 1994. And then the following year in 95, Hong Kong smuggling Bibles from Hong Kong into China. There's a whole story that leads into that. But uh I ended up moving to China in 1998. I was, I remember being in the Prescott, Arizona, Prescott Public Library, sending faxes to Yunnan Institute of Minorities. I knew no one in Southwest China, but I had this fax number. And so I'm sending faxes, like, how do I join this school? And 1998, bought a one-way plane ticket to China, spent 15 years there among serving in very rural, impoverished, unreached areas. I mean, literally, you walk into a village and say in Chinese, Have you ever heard of Jesus here? And they say, Is that a brand of a soap? 
and they have <laughs> no concept at all. I mean, it was a blank slate, a gospel yeah. dead zone. Right. And so that really kind of stirred my heart for the final frontier of missions, the unreached peoples in the 1040 window, fulfilling the, the heaven song that we want to see in Revelation 7-9 by giving people a, the, the chance at access to the gospel. And uh, after 15 years in China, many t- interrogations <laughs> and difficulties as far as opposition, government opposition, moved uh, the headquarters of Within Reach Global, the foundation and organization my wife and I started here to Thailand, where I'm talking to you from today, Chiang Mai, Thailand. So now staff is growing, the ministry is growing, continue to reach unreached peoples. And uh, that's a little nutshell of my yeah. journey over 25 and- years. And you continue to uh, hear the voice of God and uh, what He's placing on your heart to to write books because you're 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 doing all that and writing books. So it's uh, I, I asked you before when you sleep because you're 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 on top of it. <laughs> well, uh, you know you know when Eric Little, missionary to China, uh, Olympian, he said, "When I run, I feel the pleasure of God." And chariots of fire. Remember that part? For me, it's writing. When I write, I feel like I am experiencing God's presence. So, really, it's, that's my deepest joy amongst all the other things I do. Writing has really become not only a worshipful outlet but a way of encouraging, challenging, inspiring the body of Christ to see the bigger picture, maybe from God's perspective, particularly among those who uh, are in very difficult conflict areas or have no access to the gospel. Yeah, good deal. Well, that kind of leads in. So see the city. What's the inspiration behind that? And then and how did how did it personally impact you? This this book, this is my fourth book. Um, and this one has been the most emotional book to write. I cried through every single page writing this book. I haven't, I, that happened to me on previous books as well, because you're writing from your heart and your gut. But this one particularly starts in June 2021, when our, some of our staff, they were Thai Karin people. Karin is an ethnic tribe here in Thailand and Southeast Asia, Myanmar. And number of our staff, missionary staff, went from Chiang Mai, five hours southwest to the border of Burma, Myanmar. And there's it's now going on the 75th year of the internal conflict in Myanmar. Uh, incredible loss, devastation, uh, IDPs, internally displaced people in their own nation. And we were serving these refugee camps. They gave us a list of things that they needed. It had like nine different things on there from mosquito nets to, you know, canned food, noodles, rice. And the last one had hoe heads. You know, mm. the iron hoe head. Yeah. So I've, I've been serving it among these people for many years, but I've never received a request for hoe heads. Mm. And I was like, why, why in the world? I asked Poppy, one of our staff, why do they need hoe heads in this area? And she said, they're going to, cut down a tree branch, fasten it to that branch, make a hoe to dig holes in the sides of caves for temporary shelters, makeshift shelters, so the planes and helicopters overhead, the Burmese army, don't see them and destroy their makeshift villages. And so they're running through the jungle, and, and one of our staff, Poppy, walks up to a group of girls during a distribution at one of our refugee outreaches and says, uh, introduces herself, and this little girl, very shy, 10 years old, she said, what's your name? I said, my name is Polwa. It's white flower in mm. English. And realized that her parents were killed in a mortar attack. Her baby brother was shot with 
uh, AK-47 or M-22 rounds in, in Burma. And she said, what is your biggest dream? What do you want in life? And this little girl was silent. And about 10 minutes later, she walked up and whispered into Poppy's ear. She said, I want to see the city. Wow. And the only last dying hope from the bombs and bullets and horror of the Burmese jungle was to see a city, see the city. Mm. And so this lit kind of this idea in my heart for, you know, I could take her to Chiang Mai, I could take her to Bangkok or New York, but those cities will inevitably let her down because all cities do in a land that's doomed to disarray and falling apart. Sure. But the city of God is mm. what will satisfy her deepest longings. And so that was the rich story behind the book. And what I really try to encapsulate this little girl, white flower, who challenges us who are hurting and in pain and suffering. And how do we find solace and hope during this time? Yeah, it's excellent. Excellent. And so you you hit on that. Um, some of the themes in the book are uh, suffering and sorrow and grief. Um these are profound topics. They're not just, you know, they're not uh, like uh, hard candy or sugary topics. They're ones that that are challenging. The ones I think that we we do run into, each of us run run into, and we face with these challenges. But can you just share a little bit more about suffering, sorrow, and grief, and then the courage it took to to say, "Hey, I want to I tackle these, and I want to to engage with them around the, in this book." Yeah, and I think these are things that everyone will resonate with at certain points in their life more often than we'd like to admit. If people aren't, you know, the, the subtitle of the book, See the City, is called Hope for the Bruised, Battered, and Brokenhearted. And at some point or another, we will all experience those, whether it be a loss of a pet, uh, whether it be a loss of a loved one, whether it be suffering of some kind, a difficult, you know, medical diagnosis, and I tried to implement a lot of my own story. I think that's why one of the reasons it was very emotional as well. I'm thinking of White Flower, her suffering, but I have my own as well. And, and you do too, right, Aaron? And so I talk about my half-brother who passed away, uh, begging me to come tell him about God. And he died of cancer before I came. Very painful time for me. Mm. Talked about the suffering of my wife if she went through it eight-hour surgery for endometriosis, um, you know, difficult things that we've experienced and realizing that each and every one of us experience this because we live in a fallen world. You know, uh, when Adam and Eve took that fruit, inevitably suffering entered the human project. And I, I like how uh, Augustine writes about this in 426 CE, you know, 426 AD, if you will, the city of God, juxtaposing the city of man and the city of God. And then later, Martin Luther concretizes this word, this phrase, homo incurvatus in se, man turned in on himself. Hmm. And this is a phrase that has kind of dominated this book. When we are so inward turned because of sin, marred, the imago dei, the, the image of God still imprinted on us, yeah. but we're so inward turned. Suffering is part of our lives. It bombards us on every end. So part of it's historical and philosophical, but strongly it is story driven, the story of pain and suffering and how we are bruised and battered along the way. But the great hope, the great redemption 
restoration, resurrection that we look forward to in Christ, in the gospel. Again, the only thing that will satisfy the depth of our longings on this side of heaven. Yeah, that's good. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down a little squirrel trail on us here. Um, you talked about, I was in a conversation yesterday with some group of uh, new missionaries going out to the field. And we were talking about the the image of God and somehow how it can be marred. And you mentioned that word there. So just it sparked in me. So so in your experience, uh, what are some ways you've seen maybe that image of God be marred in people? Is that is that a fair question? Absolutely. And I see this every day because I'm I'm in these areas that are extremely, if they're not extremely impoverished, which, it, by the way, is not the only litmus test for lostness, okay. right? We often think when you see uh, impoverished or poverty, that means people are lost. Right. There's poverty of the soul greatly here in Thailand, a country with less than 1% Christian, 0.77% Christian. I look around me. Every single one of the 70 million Thai people in my context here, Chiang Mai and greater Thailand, have this, are imprinted by the image of God, the Imago Dei. It's not been left because sin entered the world. It, it, it didn't get lost or rub off because Adam and Eve took that fruit. Rather, it's been marred. And again, our incurvature or our inward turn, if you will, as you know, Martin Luther and Augustine talked about, um, I think we so often, whether it be in a foreign culture, whether it be with a neighbor, whether it be with someone who's cut us off in traffic, we don't recognize the image of God imprinted upon humanity. If we did, our hearts would break with the things that break mm. the heart of God. But we mm. so often overlook, especially those who are, you know, make the news for a shooting or or some horrific event or a dictator of some kind. I mean, Hitler was marred, marked with the image of God. We we can't quite wrap our minds around that. Osama bin Laden as well, and Min Aung Leng, the dictator of Myanmar. But every single individual carries this imprint. And um, I think we are called to express the mandates of heaven, that mm. God's will be done here in our earthly context. It is always accomplished in heaven. And if we are able to see in through the eyes of God that everyone bears his image, resembles, mirrors his characteristic in some way, yeah. uh, our hearts would be impassioned to share with them the great hope that we have in, in, in the gospel. Yeah, it's a good word. And so you talked there about the heaven, and, um, and in the book you talk about some of the misnomers that we have about heaven. Would you be willing just to, to unpack uh, a, f a few of those for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I have to give a shout out for Randy Alcorn. Okay. Uh, his books uh, have really inspired and, and challenged me. He's, I don't know how many he's written, over 20, I guess. But one of them recently is called Heaven. Heaven by Randy Alcorn. I highly recommend it. And in that, you know, we often have this image of a never-ending sing-along in the sky or, you know, <laughs> Arab babies with bows and arrows shooting. Oh. It's it's kind of this ethereal, mystical spirit place in yeah. the clouds. And we can't, and it's full of light. But I think we have so many misnomers about the reality of the new heaven and the new earth, heaven on earth. It's almost as if, remember the garden, the great garden city, the garden of Eden was heaven on earth. God walking 
among men and women. And that was lifted as sin and then the fall entered the world. God is going to restore heaven on earth with the new earth. And it's not going to be that ethereal, mystical. There's going to be culture and vibrance and learning and languages and animals and, you know, adventure. Uh, if we can catch a, a glimpse of this, I think we'll be impassioned with our life again on the, on the outskirts of heaven as we're journeying there. And uh, so that theme, heaven on earth, heaven overlapping in the earth, the, the promise that Jesus asked us to pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's trying to express the kingdom here in our place where it's very difficult and dark in the realm under a shadow. But the reality is heaven is something solid. And I always get that image from C.S. Lewis. Have you ever read um, uh, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis? I have not. No. Uh, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. But The Great Divorce is about this bus ride from hell to heaven that he takes. Mm. And he arrives, and it's a it's a dream sequence kind of made up. Uh, thing, but it shows the possibilities of what heaven may be like. And he steps off the bus in heaven and he realizes he's become a ghost by comparison because the solid state of heaven is so much solider. He uses the word solider, not a real word, more solid (laughs) than uh, he is himself. And he has become this, this inverted picture Heaven is more solid, so much so solid that he steps onto the grass and it's so strong it pierces his feet. Mm. He tries to pick up a leaf and it won't bend off its stem because Mm. it's so solid. And I think the picture is that there is a real location, a real place with cities and arches and mansions and culture and language and people. Uh, The richness of what we as Christians are looking forward to is so obscured to our eyes. No wonder we don't have any excitement to share our faith because nobody wants to go to a never-ending sing-along in the sky. But if we understand what heaven is truly like, wow, then that hope again uh, bubbles up, brims to the surface of our hearts. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's that's the reality. It's uh, not a camp meeting in the sky. Um, and uh, appreciate. I thought that was a fascinating discussion. Um, one of the other chapters was the idea of rooted in the love of self. Hmm. Um, yeah, what are the themes of that? And when you explored that, this, and you've talked a little bit about. I think we talked about the the image of God being marred, that turning in, but the the love of self. How do you see that impacting? And you mentioned that's not just maybe in those that are poor, not that it could be in rich, it could be in different areas, but that love of self. How does that impact us? And then how this idea of seeing the city. Would you share a little bit about it? Yeah, that that is the second chapter of the book. First one being all about white flower, and the second one, you know who it's about. Her, the murderer of her family. Hmm. Um, Minang Leng is the, the dictator, the commander in chief of Myanmar, who has sent over a million and a half people into hiding in his own country. And um, this whole story uh, traces back not just from one dictator, not just from one person who is rooted in the love of self, but shows that we all have this tendency uh, to be as inward turned and self-absorbed and worship the great almighty self as anyone does. And really what it points back to is that book by Augustine, 
in 426 called the City of God. And it was written during a time in Rome, right after the fall, the sack of Rome, the Visigoths come into Rome, they take over the city, 800 years since the wall has been breached, there are people that cannot believe that the great city, the eternal city, uh, is falling and yeah. is collapsing. And so it adopts Christianity as the state religion, and right after that, that's when the fall of Rome happened. So all these pagans came, and they're saying, it's because we now have the state religion when we serve the one true God. And and the whole story, the rebuttal that Augustine tries to do is say, no, it, Rome has been crumbling for centuries because of its self-absorption, its hmm. self-indulgence, its, its love, its root in the love of self. That is why it's fallen. And so uh, kind of tracing that history, realizing every generation, every individual along the way. Um, let's paint, uh, let's not go so far back. People's heads are probably spinning here with all this, you know, philosophical Good. thought about Augustine and historical context. The reality is, how often do we think about ourselves compared to our neighbor? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. we are, we're absorbed with yeah. ourselves in our own schedule and our deadlines and our life and everything revolves around these little mini universes, eight billion of them. And um, the idea here is that if we can lift our eyes beyond ourself, take our eyes off the almighty self and see the God who, who loves the nations, um, our, our lives transform. Yeah. And hope begins to arise and, and true satisfaction occurs. And I think that's the story I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yes, we're all suffering. Yes, we're all hurting and struggling in so many different ways. But when we lift our eyes beyond the things of the world, world fade into the distance as we focus on Jesus. And uh, so that's, that's kind of the, a nutshell of what yeah. the book is about. So I'm going to ask you a question. Um, so you, you and I were missionaries, global workers, global messengers, whatever you want to call ourselves. We're that's what we are. Um, and so I think sometimes when we think about this love of self, we think of uh, people that don't love Jesus and that they they're you know they're a certain type of people. But I found in my times of transition, my times of being on the field, it that. When things are out of control, I can almost this this turning in towards self can can happen in my life. Have you seen that in 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 other global workers or missionaries? And how do you, how do we push back on that? Because I do think sometimes we, at least for me, when I when I was reading, I was thinking love of self, and and honestly, I was convicted when I was reading it because I was thinking of everybody else, um, and I was thinking like a certain type of person would be. But honestly, um, the Holy Spirit really. Yeah, just in, honestly feel his sensing to now that this is not just something for somebody else to consider, um, but rather that's something that I need to, to consider personally. And um, because I can in certain times of my life becomes even though I'm a missionary, I'm trying to share the love of Christ. I can become so how does this impact me? And so Aaron focused. So I don't know if that's fair. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit by asking the question. But is that a common theme that you've seen in global workers? Is it just Aaron that has this and he needs to go to a counselor? I don't know. Just, yeah, just I think it's just you. <laughs> I, I've never personally struggled with a love. No, I'm just joking. Um, well, let me ask you this before I answer that. Sure. When that happens or you're, you face a, you know, uh, gridlock or something sure. or difficulty in ministry, what, what happened? You, you, 
for you personally, is it turn into like a anxiety or depression? No, or I think it's just, I turn in to try to control what I control. And so okay. when things are out of control, I turn into like control what I want to control. And that is sure. how this is impacting me. What it's, so it's, I don't think it's an anxiety or depression, anything like that, but it's just, that's what the Holy spirit really was convicting me was about is Aaron, it's really easy for you to look out at other people and say, well, they need to be left selfish and not be rooted in self. But when things are, when the world is up and down, a lot of times, Aaron, you uh, you turn to self and begin to think about how's this impact me? Why is this? Why? Why me? Why now? All the, all those uh, those uh, pity questions that you don't get much, uh, you know, you don't get much answers to. But anyway, that's honestly, as, as I thought about this and reading, that's what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me about. So that's that's why I thought I'd ask you. Yeah, um, I think the the outworking of that yeah. root of self looks different. That's why I mentioned for yeah. some people, it's going to be depression. Others, sure. it's, you know, kind of control your situation. Right. If you look to the root of all those things, what is it? It is self-interest. Yeah. It's self-preservation, self-absorption. Yep. Yep. Everyone listening to it, you pause for a second and think of the deeper root. Um, I'm going to read you this little part from uh, chapter two, rooted in the love of self. It's talking about Minang Leng, this dictator, okay. the commander in chief of Myanmar. And he's, you know, killing all these people and there's millions of people fleeing for their lives. And it says, but brace yourself for what I'm about to say next. The worst sin of a tyrant is not harboring ill will toward others, but thinking too highly of himself. Hmm. Minan Lang's atrocities have a selfish root that is shared by everyone on the planet, including you and me. We all have a terrible propensity to prioritize our own interests over those of others, even God's. And I think that's, do I see this regularly on the field? Sure. I see it first and foremost in myself. Yeah. And I, I know myself, you know, um, I know the reality of it, are my motives always altruistic? I want to write another book. I want to reach this people group. Sure. But there's so many times what I'm really trying to do is prove myself to Aaron. I'm going to be a good guest on your podcast yeah. is proving to my sending church. Sure. I can produce numbers for you guys. It's proving yeah. to my wife, to my kids. And it's, it's self-absorption. Yeah. And I, I'm so guilty of this. I, and, and we all are, um, right. Sure. And I think this book is is written not so much to others, but to myself. And that is one of the reasons why I spent a lot of time just feeling the Holy Spirit's conviction as well. Part of that was reason for the tears. Yeah. Others were is very emotional, right? Yeah. But um, the the whole idea is though, are we able? Does the Holy Spirit give us the power to lift our eyes off of the Almighty Self and upon and place our eyes upon Him? Um, there's the story at the very end of the book. It's it's about this Olympic swimmer whose greatest dream was to swim from Catalina Island all the way across to the California coast. Okay. And she tried and swam, and she's swimming for 17 hours, and the fog came in. 17 hours she's swimming from Catalina Island. I, I mean, I'd right. be dead in the first right. 45 minutes. <laughs> and she can't see the shoreline. The fog is so thick. And <clears throat> she pokes her head out of the water. There's boats along her side. Her mother's in one of them. And people are encouraging her. Keep going. You're not, you're almost there. It was 26 miles from Catalina Island to the coast of California. And 
She swims for another hour, 18 hours in. She's exhausted, and she still can't see the shoreline up ahead. And she begs to be pulled up into the boat. I don't get emotional saying this. Yeah. Begs her mother to pull her into the boat and rescue her, and she, she just cannot go another mile. She gets into the boat. The fog lifts just slightly, and she sees a half a mile up ahead is wow. the California coast. Wow. She was interviewed the next day. This was in 1956, I think. And they asked her, why Why couldn't you just go? Why couldn't you just make it for another? It was only a half a mile. You went 25 and a half miles. Yeah. And she said, I think if I could have seen the shoreline beyond the fog, I would have made it. But I could not see it. And so I had mm. to give up. Mm. And if we could see the shoreline, the North Star, Jesus there beckoning us forward, mm. um, focusing our eyes on him that strength would be given to us, the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, to yeah. go that extra distance that seems impossible. So to make a short story long, there's your answer. <laughs> oh, that's good. Good word. Good word. And, and and my friend, if there's somebody's listening in and man, they're in they're in one of these seasons of very uh, correlating to that um, uh, illustration, but they're in a situation where they, they they just can't see the shoreline. Any and they're they're struggling. They're maybe in a season of loss or grief or um, sorrow, suffering. Words of encouragement for them. Um, yeah, Lawrence Chadwick is the name of that swimmer, by the way. Okay, and I pray that her words would uh, resonate in in our hearts, but not only hers. Look, if we if we could lift our eyes and see the author and perfecter of our faith. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Um, pause for a moment. And I understand, I mean, we just had our first death in the ministry. One of our closest missionary brothers, mm. 39 years old, just died of a brain aneurysm a month ago. And I dedicated this book to him. His name is mm. Joe Guangming. That's his mm. pseudonym that we've called him, not mm. publicly, but with his real name. Sure. Some of us have lost family, friends, others have, like I said, a difficult medical diagnosis, finances are tough, kids are not, life is not what you expected it to be. You really do need to take a breath, pause for a moment, and you can search high and search low, but the only place that is going to give that hope that your deepest heart truly satisfies is in the presence of God, the city that he made and fashioned for you. You're, you're living in the brokenness of a world and a city that's going to fall apart and yeah. inevitably come to disarray. Yeah. But you were made for an entirely different world. Yeah. And I encourage you to, to close your eyes, search the scriptures, pray, ask the Holy Spirit's presence to just give you a dose of that otherworldly hope on this side of heaven, because it is for you. Jesus mm. did promise you abundant life. Mm. And the enemy is going to come in and steal, kill, destroy. But Jesus says, but wait, I have life and life to the fullest brimming over. Yeah. And in those moments of difficulty and despair, um, press your heart deeper into the heart of God. You will be surprised at the way he welcomes you, mm. whether it be a, like a prodigal son, whether it be like a wayward child, whether it be like a just estranged relationship where you once lost your first love that you had. And so, yes, you're bruised. Yes, the world has battered you along the way and maybe even broken your heart, but there is hope and it is it has a name and it's yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
David, you go into one last question that I'm going to ask you to pray for us. Um, you, you're you ministering in a place to people that are suffering and they're going through sorrow and grief. And you just mentioned a, a colleague, lost a colleague. Any words of encouragement for those that are they're 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 ministering to people like this, but they're at a place where they're they're running dry themselves. Um, they're giving, giving, giving. Uh, how do you find the strength to continue on to have conversations with a, a girl named White Flower? I mean, that's a that's a honestly that's a very emotional conversation. That's not just something that you do lightly and and move on from. Um, and so. Yeah. Any any words of encouragement for those that are caring for those that are going through these these times? And then I'm going to ask you to pray for us. That's what my heart really beats for people who are serving. And I think a lot of times we have a tendency to have that savior complex. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, I have another book in my mind. It's called Savior Complex. Okay. How to reach everyone everywhere all the time or die trying. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> It describes those of us who are serving in ministry, whether it be pastoral or missionary, and we have a mission, we are called, and we're going to, you know, but what we inevitably look like is the guy on the mission. Remember that old movie where that Jesuit priest is carrying that, lugging that big weight, the net of armor up this hill. Why? Because we think we could do penance to God and gain his salvation. Um we are not called, we are called to emulate, to mirror Jesus, but he is the only savior. And I love the words that John the Baptist say to say about Jesus uh, in the message version. He must take the center stage. I must slip off to the sidelines. Mm. He shall become greater. I shall become lesser. Yeah. And um, I think that is what the call, the difficulty is. Yes, we have a mission. It is holy. It's yeah. ambitious, audacious even. Yeah. Um, but we, when we realize the macro picture of what God is doing, realize he's always working. This is his work. He's not out of a job. That's why we work for God. You know? <laughs> um, and, and, and lastly, I, there's one phrase in Chinese. It's, uh, it's a cheng yu, uh, idiom that we say in Chinese, jing di zhuwa, the frog at the bottom of the well. Hmm. And this picture of the entire horizon. It's a tiny blue dot frog on the very bottom of a well. And I think that's how we often see our little carved out space that God has called us into. Just that's that's my little spot. Yeah. And I pray that the waters of the Holy Spirit flow into your well, fill that thing up, and you float to the surface, and that blue dot yeah. grows larger and larger and larger until you see to your left, to your right, this macro vision. God is so much bigger and is doing so much more than we realize. We are such an infinitesimal part and yet an integral part because we bear the image of God. So I pray that, uh, again, it just comes back to focusing our eyes on the main central figure, the captain of our souls, Jesus. And so, yeah, I'd love to pray. and Good deal. Yeah, pray for us. Yes, Lord, I just do pray, God, that you would speak to us, Lord. I pray for those who are listening, might be going through a difficult time right now, um, might have come to the end of their rope or they're serving and they're just out of gas, God. And I just ask that you would just, by the unique and amazing and supernatural way, empower them, encourage them, fill us up again with the hope, the great hope of Christianity, redemption, restoration, resurrection, 
heaven on the new earth, what we have to look forward to the culmination of history. God, let us focus on the biggerness of who you are. And in that process, I pray that you would take that gold thread like that Japanese kintsugi and put it upon our broken parts of our jars of clay, repair us, God, mend us, and uh, because you are the great repairer of broken things. So I pray, God, for that person, those people, Father, who are, are listening now, may you bring great encouragement, recognizing that they are called and according to your purpose and all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. 